I spoke this last Wednesday at the uh, Casita Road congregation in Columbus, and my assigned topic at that uh, time was the relationship between uh, preachers and, and elders. And the text I used for that lesson is the same text that I present to you for our lesson this morning uh, concerning uh, pure relations in the church. Because when you turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5 and begin reading uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5 verses 1 and 2, uh, you see that the Apostle Paul is, is uh, laying out here the principle for uh, relations in the church. And he says, beginning in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1, Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters. And here's the key phrase, the key term. With all purity. And so he, he begins this section of 1 Timothy... And you'll remember in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, the Apostle Paul says, But if I am delayed, I write to you so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And so, you know, Paul states there why he's writing to uh, Timothy. And it is to... Uh, instruct Timothy in his uh, instructing the church for how to be the house of God, for how to be the household of God. You know, a lot of times uh, in, our, in our prayers or uh, in our um, uh, discussions, we talk about the house of God. And, and sometimes this building is, is referred to as the, the house of God. And really... Uh, that's not the correct application of that. This building is not the house of God. When we uh, say in our uh, prayers that it is good to come to the house of God, uh, we're not talking about this building. We're talking about being together as the church of God, as His people. And so that's what Paul is writing to Timothy to instruct Timothy about, is, is how to teach the brethren about being the household of God. And so he begins this section of that instruction to Timothy talking about relations in the church using that key term, with all purity. And he, he ends this section with that uh, same phrase or that same word, or I should say a similar word. Uh, he says, do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins, in verse 22. Keep yourself pure. So he begins this section talking about purity, and he ends this section talking about purity. And so the key element of relations in the church is purity, to be pure with each other. And so, of course, we need to understand what Paul's talking about when he refers to purity. That word that is translated purity there is a pretty unique form of that word. It's actually only used in two places both of them right here within just a few verses of each other. Uh, if you look back in verse 12 of 1 Timothy chapter 4, 
It says there, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the brethren in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. That's the same form of the word that is used in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 2 with all purity. It's the only two places that that specific form of the word is used. And, and it means to be without moral defect. To be without moral defect. So what would that mean when, when he says uh, with all purity? That conduct yourself in your relations in the church toward... Uh, Older men, younger men, older women, younger women, uh, in, in this way, with all purity. He's saying there to, to conduct yourself toward the, the brethren, toward uh, these uh, specific demographics in the church, if you will, in a morally upright way. In a way that is correct, that is morally right. And what does that mean, to be morally right? Well, what, what, what is... Biblical morals, honesty, integrity, uh, uh, faithfulness, uh, free from uh, wickedness or uh, blemish. Or when, when, when Paul talks about sexual immorality, for example, he, he, he talks about it as uh, filthiness. Well, you know, conducting ourselves toward one another with purity means that, that no such filthiness uh, exist in those relationships. And so, that's what he's talking about here when he says, with all purity. Moral correctness. And so, <clears throat> that's the, the, the key to these relations in the church. This word, even though it's only used in these two passages, uh, 1 Timothy 4.12 and uh, 1 Timothy 5.2, that specific form of the word, it's from the same root word that words like uh, holy come from. Uh, for example, in, in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5, Peter quotes from Leviticus and he says, But as uh, he who called you is holy, you also be holy. And it's a very similar application that Paul makes of the uh, different form of the word in, in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 2 because he says, in all your conduct. So you be holy, again, same root word as the word translated purity in 1 Timothy. You be holy because God is holy. The God that you serve is holy. So you be holy in your conduct. So again there, it's talking about a, a distinct kind of lifestyle. That word holy means uh, sanctified or similar to sanctified as we'll see in just a second. Uh, it, it means set apart for a specific purpose. And so our conduct in Christ is supposed to be distinct. It's supposed to be different than, than the, the kind of worldly relationships we see. And so uh, it's from the same root word that's translated holy. It's from the same root word that's translated sanctified. All these words are related and, and have similar meanings. We, we understand that sanctified means separated or set apart. We're sanctified by the Word of God to Christ. We're, we're set apart from the world to Christ through obedience to the Word of God. And so that's the same root word, sanctified, as we read in Acts chapter 20 and verse 32. And, and notice how these words are applied in a similar way to our conduct, to the way that we live in Christ and how that uh, plays into our relationships with one another. As it says there in Acts chapter 20 and verse 32, 
Now, so now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the Word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Well, again, that holy conduct, that sanctified lifestyle, that set-apart way of living, it's a distinct lifestyle. It's from the same root word that is translated saints. Uh, in Romans chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul talks about Phoebe there and refers to uh, her as a saint and refers to the saints. He says, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Sincrea, that you may receive her in the Lord. So notice here he's talking specifically about the relationship that, that they are supposed to have with this uh, good sister in Christ, Phoebe. He says, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints. So see there again that, that same root word being used in a way to refer to the way that we relate together. We, we relate with each other in a way that is worthy of the saints. In a way that is sanctified. In a way that is holy. That our conduct toward each other is holy. And so the, 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 the key to the relationships that we see in, in 1 Timothy chapter 5 is with all purity. In a, in a morally upright way, honest and, and, and with integrity, not, not deceiving and defrauding one another, or trying to take advantage of one another or use one another. That wouldn't be pure or morally upright. And so that's the key to these relationships. And so as we get into these relationships, we see first of all, Paul referring to the uh, relationships within the uh, house of God within the church itself. As he, as he says there in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 1, that uh, your relationship toward older men is to be like that uh, to fathers. Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. This term rebuke, I, I got a letter, probably about a three-page letter, or maybe more, I, I don't remember uh, exactly how long. It was a long letter from an from uh, 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 older brother in the church because uh, he had done something that was unscriptural. He had done something that was, that was scripturally wrong. And I informed him that what he had done was scripturally wrong. And he wrote me a long letter from this passage saying that I had sinned or I had done wrong because I had rebuked an elder. Well, you know, in the King James it says elder there. It's the same word, but it's not applied in the same way as to refer to the office of the eldership. Here it's just talking about an older man in the church. And so he, was, he, he said that I had done wrong because I had corrected an older man in the church. That's not what that's talking about. If that's, if that's what that's talking about, then, then these older men in the church, if I saw them doing something that was going to jeopardize their soul, according to that verse, I wouldn't be able to say anything to them about it. That's not what that means. Then we see that uh, as, it, as we see later in the chapter when it, it addresses specifically the office of the eldership. It can't mean that because it, it specifically says of, of an elder, one in the, in the authoritative office of the eldership, if uh, any are sinning rebuke in the presence of all. Not, it's not the same word for rebuke in that case though. 
See, that, and that's the, that's the difference, is the word here for rebuke literally means to beat on them with words. You know, uh, uh, you ever see somebody take, we, we, we have the phrase uh, tongue lashing. You ever see somebody take a tongue lashing? It's usually a husband getting verbally beat by his wife. Right? Uh, and we call it a tongue. Man, she gave him a tongue lashing, right? That's what this word is talking about. It's talking about uh, talking to someone in such a way that you're just beating them with, with, with your words. And we're not supposed to, to talk to older people in that way. And remember, Paul is writing to Timothy, a, 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 a very young man of probably about my age, uh, and, and, and telling him. Don't beat on older men in the church with your words like, like you would a little kid. Like you would rebuke them. Look at what you've done. You've made a terrible mess there. You're not supposed to talk to older people like that. Really not supposed to talk to kids that way either, but we do sometimes. Uh, but that's what he's talking about there. You're not supposed to, maybe we should say fuss, harshly fuss at an older man in the church. You're supposed to give them the same respect that you would a father, your, your, your father in the flesh. Because we know growing up, I, I do anyway, that if I had walked into the room and started shaking my finger at my dad and fussing at my dad, it would have lasted about mm, half a second. <laughs> and I would have been picking myself up off the floor. Maybe after I woke up after a couple hours. I don't know. But we, we, just, we just don't talk to our fathers that way. We're, we're, we're taught, or we're supposed to be taught anyway. To, to respect our fathers. And, and that's what, if you want a parallel there of, of how it is that, that uh, we're supposed to treat and, and have a relationship with the older men in the church, it says there in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. You're supposed to give them respect and honor for their age. For their, for their greater life experience than you have. You know, sometimes, that, that's when that harsh tongue lashing comes in sometimes. It's when you're talking to a young child that, that you know good and well what they're doing is going to hurt them, but they want to argue and, 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 and be, be obstinate about it and say, I want to do it anyway. And you know from your life experience, you know, kid, look, I've been there, I've done that, I did the same thing. It hurts. Don't do it. Uh, well, you know, we're, we're supposed to respect those older people in the church. Uh, here, specifically, the older men as fathers. Give them the honor that we would an older person with, with greater life experience uh, that, that we're supposed to respect. And so that, that is the pure relationship, the morally correct relationship between a younger man and an older man in the church. And then he says in uh, verse 1 also, uh, younger men as brothers. And so, notice the emphasis here. You've got fathers and brothers. Notice the emphasis here on family relationships. As, as Paul is teaching about relationships in the church, he's emphasizing the family relationship that is the church. It's the house of God. It's a family. And we're supposed to conduct ourselves toward one another as family. And, and, you know, um, there's not very... Now, there's some. I have known of some very broken family relationships where uh, uh, brothers took advantage of each other and purposely tried to hurt each other, but it's not common. What is more natural and normal 
is for the older brother to look out for the younger brother, to take care of the younger brother, to protect the younger brother, to try and instruct and guide the younger brother. That, that's what is the more natural family relationship. And, and that's the way that, that Paul is telling Timothy to be toward the younger brothers in the church. To, to, to nurture them, to care for them and guide them. You know, uh, in, in the family structure that was prevalent at, at the time that Paul wrote this to Timothy, the firstborn son in the home had the same level of authority with the father. Now, the the son was in subjection to the father, but when the father wasn't there, the rest of the family uh, looked to the oldest son, the firstborn son, as the head of the family. And so in this relationship of, a, of, of a, an, an older man to a younger man, to, to look at him uh, as a brother, a younger brother uh, in, in the church, a younger brother in the family. It's, it's a relationship of nurturing and guiding and instruction. And you see it in Genesis chapter 13 and verse 8, I think, is a good example there. In Genesis chapter 13 and verse 8, you've got this situation between Abraham and, and Lot, where they had their respective households, And they were both increasing greatly. And there was beginning to be some strife between the two households uh, for the the resources there. And so Abraham's primary concern seems to be maintaining a pure family relationship with Lot. He doesn't want to have strife with Lot. And Abraham the older one, Lot the younger one, right? Lot was Abraham's nephew. And... and, and, uh, He wants to maintain that pure relationship. And so he says there, So Abraham said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me, and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen. Why? For we are brethren. There's not supposed to be strife between brethren. You know, one of the saddest things to see is a house broken because of strife between the brethren. Uh, in a home where, where you've got uh, one brother pitted against the other brother and it just rips the home apart and, and the parents are, are, are uh, in, in tearful mourning all the time because the two brothers are constantly going at each other and, and can't get along and, and they're striving there and Abraham pleads with Lot let, it, let that not be the case between us for we are brethren well that, that says a lot about the kind of relationship that we're supposed to have in the church between brethren And here specifically, older toward younger, a relationship of nurturing and care and and, and, uh, 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 purity to take care of those younger brothers in the church. And then he goes on and he says, older women as mothers. Now, here I really need to emphasize that Paul is not telling us here to walk around calling each other uh, father and mother or to use these titles and to remind some of the ladies in the church that they are older ladies that should be called mother. Because they might smack you if you remind them that they are older ladies in the church. The emphasis here is on the relationship. On the the purity of the relationship. How would you treat your mother? Now, you know, I know... uh, I, I guess I, I'm, I'm a self-admitted mama's boy. Uh, me and my mom were, were best friends. Uh, and, and uh, you know, we, we, we cut up a lot and we, we did a lot together. And, and I would never think about it. One of the things that broke my heart as a teenager was to 
was for my mother to find out things that I had done that hurt her. That, and, and I mean, one of the things that she could say to me that would really make a tremendous impact on me was you make me look like a bad mother when you do things like that. People see you do things like that and they think I'm a bad mother that didn't teach you better than that. And that's not true. I did teach you better than that. And so we, we wouldn't think about purposely hurting our mothers or taking advantage of our mothers, defrauding our mothers. You know, I, it, 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 it kills me sometimes to hear about, uh, I just heard about one just recently, where a, a, a younger guy in the church uh, got into an impure relationship with an older lady in the church for the express purpose of taking advantage of her and defrauding her. Took her credit cards, emptied her bank accounts. Uh, well, you know, that, that, that kind of thing is almost unfathomable. Uh, in, in, in uh, when you think about the way that you would treat your own mother, you wouldn't treat your mother that way. Not, not a right-thinking person, a sane person, wouldn't treat their mother that way. And so that's what Paul is emphasizing here. These older ladies in the church, give them the respect and the honor that you would uh, your mother. Treat them with purity the way you would your mother. Because the church is a family. And we're supposed to, to treat each other like a family. And he says younger women as sisters. You know... <clears throat> People ask me sometimes how I feel about youth ministers. Um, and, and I think I have some pretty good reasons for uh, youth ministers being a waste of church resources. I, I don't think that they're a good use of church resources. But also, uh, I, I have seen and know of you know, uh, a lot of, uh, from, from, from uh, first-hand connections, know of a lot of examples where these youth ministers uh, abuse their relationship with these younger sisters in the church and, and, and act toward those younger sisters in the church in an impure way. They get into a position of authority, a position of, uh, if you will, admiration with these young girls, and, and they, they abuse that relationship in an impure way. And it's horrible. It, 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 it tears apart congregations. Well, if... The breakdown in that relationship started right here. They stopped thinking of those young girls in the church as their sisters. You know, uh, remember he's talking to Timothy, a, a young man. And I don't know of too many young men with a little sister that if somebody tried to do something to that girl, to hurt that girl, or to take advantage of that girl, or to, to, to misguide that, that girl in, in any way, that that big brother wouldn't jump up in that guy's face and say, you need to back off my little sister. Right? It's a relationship of protection and care. Just like the, for the younger brothers. You know, it's nurturing and care and guidance. Same thing for the little sisters. It's not taking advantage of and abusing that relationship. It's, it's a relationship of nurture and care and guidance. And so you see the emphasis all through here on, on purity. How do, we, how do we conduct ourselves toward our fathers? Well, in a, in a healthy home, in a right relationship, in a pure way. How do we conduct ourselves toward our mothers? Well, again, in a healthy home, in a, in a, in a, in a home that is, that is uh, uh, intact, uh, in a healthy way, a, a pure way. What about little brothers and sisters? 
in, in a pure way. Not, not an immoral way. So we're talking about relationships that are guided by that principle of, of purity. And then we come to uh, the relationship to those in need. And uh, beginning in verse 3, he starts talking about the church's relationship with the widows in the church. And the reason I, I title this pure relations with those in need is because the widows here uh, are, are uh, set forth as part of a group. The, that, that group in, in our society, that group in the church a lot of times, that is in need. And, and in the first century, they didn't have things like life insurance and, and uh, 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 big savings accounts and things. When, when a man died a lot of times, that woman was destitute. She didn't. Uh, her husband was her her, her sustenance, uh, and, and you know he didn't leave her a big insurance policy when he died. See, it's a, it's a lot different now in our culture, where you know a lot of times uh, the widows are are pretty you know self sufficient. You know, e either either they have been working women that have their own retirement, or their their husband left them with a retirement pension that that takes care of them. Uh, and then for, for uh, different reasons, widows in, in, in the American culture, in American society, don't really require the same kind of care like Paul is talking about here. He's talking about a society where uh, the, the woman's sustenance uh, almost uh, entirely was her husband. And without her husband, if no one stepped in to take care of her, she would be destitute. And so that, that, that stands forth as a relationship with someone who is in need. And, and he talks about uh, different kinds of widows here. And, and there are some important principles here, as we'll see when we get down to the end of this section. There are some important principles here uh, concerning church benevolence. Because there's, you know all kinds of questions about how to handle church benevolence and, and what's, the, what's the standard in here. Well, I, I think we have a pattern set forth here that, that kind of sets the standard for how church benevolence is supposed to be conducted. He, he starts out talking about those who are really widows, or the American Standard Version has widows indeed. Those who are really widows, or widows indeed. Now, he says there honor widows who are really widows. You look down to verse 5, and he's, he's uh, talking about these uh, uh, widows indeed again in verse 5. He says, Now she who is really a widow and left alone trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. So who is this one who is really a widow? Well, look at who she's contrasted with. This one who is a widow indeed, or really a widow, is contrasted to the widow who has family. So this is a woman whose husband has died, she has no family, and thus has no one to take care of her. She is a widow indeed. Without help, without someone stepping in to take care of her, she would be destitute. And the church is uh, responsible for taking care of those widows Indeed, those widows who uh, would not be able to take care of themselves without the help of the church. And then he goes on in verse 4 to talk about 
those widows with family. In verse 4 he says, but, and there's that contrast, so you got the widow indeed in verse 1, contrasted with the widow in verse 2. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let now, now here's an important principle when it comes to church benevolence. Whose responsibility, who has the first responsibility to take care of their own? The family, not the church. You know, the first thing people do when they, when they uh, need help or, or want, and usually it's, it's not genuine, it's not honest to begin with, and that's where we have to, we have to really use some good discernment. But, but a lot of times the first place people run to is the church. And, and you know, a lot of times uh, we ask them, well, what about your family? Can your family help with that? Now, why would we ask that? And some people, you know, some, you, you ask some people, well, well you know, can't, can't your parents or, or, or uh, your, your grandparents or your cousins or your brother and sister or whoever, can't they help you with this? And they kind of look at you like, how dare you? How dare you ask me, can somebody else help me? That's the church's responsibility. Well, no, not according to this passage. According to this passage, it's that person's family that has the first responsibility to, to take care of that person. It says in verse 4, but if any widow has children or grandchildren, and so it even goes to the grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home. Notice that. To show piety at home. That's, that's holiness. That's, that's a, 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 a reverence toward God. And so by taking care of our own, we're showing piety toward God. And, and of course, it, it is respect for those uh, 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 widows. It is respect for the mother or the grandmother that is being taken care of uh, and, and respect and honor for God by taking care of your own. And you see that as you look at the parallel passages here as he goes, and he kind of transitions back and forth between these different widows. For example, in verses 6 through 8, he says, But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. Uh, and these things command that they may be blameless. And if anyone does not... Now notice it. Uh, what do you do when you take care of your own, when you take care of this uh, mother or grandmother that needs help and, and you step in, in the absence of your, your deceased father, you step in and take care, or grandfather, you step in and take care of that, that uh, one who is left a widow. What do you do? You show piety. You show respect and honor toward her and to God. And the reason I say and to God is because of what it says in verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has, notice it, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So this person who, who, who would see uh, their, their mother or their grandmother widowed, and, and, and say, well, now, don't bother me with that. You go and ask the church. The church is supposed to take care of you. You go and ask the church. They've denied the faith. They've denied the gospel. Because here it says, right here in the gospel of Christ, their family is supposed to take care of them. They have denied the faith. They've denied the word of God. And made themselves worse. Now, that kills me. Worse. How can you be worse than an unbeliever? Well, Peter says that it would have been better not to have known the truth 
then after having escaped the pollutions of the world, you go back to it. See, now here's somebody who knows that they had escaped the pollutions of the world, knows that they had salvation, and then turned back to the world and lost their salvation, become condemned again, become entangled in them again, and polluted like the dog returning to his vomit and a saddle wallowing in the mire. And how is it going to be for that person in the day of judgment? It says that, that it's going to be worse for them because they knew the truth and denied it. They knew that they could have escaped that and, and, and went back to it. Well, what about the one here that is worse than an unbeliever? See, they've been instructed in the gospel in how to honor and respect their elders. How to take care of, of uh, their, their parents. And, and you know this is a principle that is all through the Bible. You remember when Jesus rebuked the Pharisees by, by making the Word of God of no effect by their traditions? The tradition He specifically pointed out was the tradition that said if you dedicate your money to the temple, then when it comes time to use that money to take care of your family, you can say, well, I can't take care of you because I ded- it's Corbin. I dedicated it to the temple. He said, you make the Word of God of no effect. Well, what's He talking about there? They were instructed by the Word of God all through the Law of Moses, all through the Bible, and here in the Gospel, in the New Testament. We're instructed to honor and respect our parents, our grandparents, our elders... And when they need taken care of, it's the right thing. It's pure. It's morally right. It's the right thing to do to step in and take care of them. And so someone who doesn't do that has denied the faith. They've denied the Word of God and they've become worse than an unbeliever. That's why I say the piety isn't just, and I know a lot of times the the, the interpretation there and the application is, they show respect for uh, their, their parents. But I think it goes beyond that to showing uh, uh, faithfulness to God. Because here it talks about being unfaithful to God if you don't do that. And so uh, the widow with family is the responsibility of that family to take care of. And, and, and for that widow, that, that person in need, if we broaden that out to include, and, and, and you know, widows are included in a group. That is, the widows and orphans, the fatherless and the widows. And they're included in a group all through the Bible. Uh, James 1.27, we'll see that in, in this discussion of widows. Uh, they're, they're included together as those in need. So we broaden that out to, to those in need in, in general. And when those people in need that have family that could step in and take care of them have to come to the church instead, it's a shame on that family. It's a reproach on that family for, for allowing uh, 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 that person to be so destitute they have to go to the church for help. That responsibility falls first to the family, not to the church, out of respect and honor in the family. And so we, we have these relationships. Uh, next week we'll pick up with the enrollable widow in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 9. And we'll continue looking at these relationships. We'll get down into the relationships uh, with, with the elders in the church. And, and there he goes from uh, the relationship between members in the church to the uh, relationship towards specific people in the church, those in need, specifically here using the widows as an example of that. And then he, said, then he gets down to those in authority. And the reason I title that, and we'll talk about that more next week because I'm running out of time, uh, 
the reason I title that those in authority is because there are many who say that the elders don't really have any authority. It's just they're supposed to be good examples. Well, which of us are not supposed to be good examples? We're all supposed to be good examples. Yes, the elders do have authority. They are those in authority. And so we'll come back as he, as he comes down to that section and talks about our relationship toward those who are in authority. But uh, the, the thing that, that we want to uh, emphasize as we talk about these relations in the church is that the church is a family. And it may be that you don't have a very positive perspective on family because we live in a sin-sick world. And, and, and sin's devastation is not unknown in the family. We have broken homes, broken by divorce. We have uh, homes without fathers and mothers together in the home. And, and, and so the, the concept of family, the concept of what a healthy family is supposed to be, isn't really, isn't really there. And then we see the church. And in the church, we're supposed to see what a family is really supposed to be like. The church is supposed to be the example of what family really is. Brothers and sisters looking out for each other, caring for each other, especially each other's spiritual well-being. And, and, and mothers and fathers looking out for the younger people in the church. You know, he, he talks about uh, the, the uh, uh, older women in Titus, a parallel here to 1 Timothy chapter 5. He talks about the older women in the church instructing the younger women in the church how to be uh, the, the, the uh, lady in the family, how to love their husband and love their children and, and uh, be, be the manager at home. And, and so we, we have the picture of what the family is supposed to be in the church. And, and, and it may be that uh, you've been uh, beaten up by the world. And, and, and you see the healthy family that is the church. And you want to be a part of that. You want to get out of the world that, that, that is, is, is bent on destroying the family. And get into a place that's going to uphold the family and strengthen the family. And, and, and be the example of what a healthy family is supposed to be. And you want to come out of the world and be added to the household of God. You can do that by hearing the Word of God and believing what it teaches about Christ and His kingdom. <clears throat> believing that, repenting of your sins, and confessing that you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Making that confession with the mouth unto salvation. Being baptized into Christ to have your sins washed away by His blood. And when you come up from the water and grave of baptism, Christ takes you and moves you out of the world of darkness into his kingdom. You're conveyed into the kingdom of the Son of His dear love. You're, you're added to the church, that is the house of God, to that healthy family that will build you up and strengthen you. And, and you want to do that this very morning. Or if having done that, you've gone back to the world, you've, you, you've left your family, and you need to be restored. Whatever your need is this morning, pray that you'll come on, please.